All right. Hey, welcome to the second and final episode of Life by the Drop for 2022. March 5th, Ben, was the last time we sat on this couch in your place and, and, and did our We're Back episode after I don't know how long. And now we just figured we'd bookend it, you know, just like we'll start and then we'll just add nothing in between. It should give us more to talk about. Let's see. Let's see what it's all about. <clears throat> I don't know. We're going to see where this is going. But again, um, so Life by the Drops, a podcast about addiction and recovery uh, and just whatever Ben and I decide we want to talk about in the moment. Yeah, so I'm so excited. If it's um, uh, <clears throat> if it sounds weird, because I don't do any editing in this for the three or four people that listen. So really the two people. We had we had yeah. about 15 and. The max, maybe like when, when we so, like at the height, cranking, yeah, at, yeah. cranking it out, it <clears> all so fifteen good. people. Um, so, but I forgot my mic cord, so we're just using the computer mic. So it might be kind of I don't know. I it, it'll sound like it sounds. It's okay. It has that analog sound, maybe. It might. It might. And then we've had a couple of false starts on the coffee. Yeah, we did. We had bad coffee, so I don't know. Well, that's just it. Like your bad coffee is still better than my best coffee. Well, I don't want to say this, but you've been, you like McDonald's coffee, correct? And yeah, I love, and I had my large McDonald's you did, you coffee before. Yeah, that's my and routine. How many times have you hit the head so far today? Just one or twice, <laughs> twice. maybe three times, <laughs> <laughs> but only once here. Well, I think it's, I think I mean, it's, there's like, no correlation with those. Two I'm, things, I'm just saying it, it's the excitement of being here. You know, you yeah, get excited. Yeah, excited you just got to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Got it. <laughs> No, I was going to say that McDonald's coffee is good. Oh, it's really good. But when you, you, that's all you know. You yeah. come here and you have, you know, so my auntie gave me this 100% Kona coffee. 100% Kona. And you're so happy when you get it. It's a different, it's a different experience. Yeah, it's it's a, you know, know, it's it really is. Top shelf, right? Yeah. So I grind it up. It does not smell good. That's, that's a sign number it. one. I said, it just doesn't even smell good. Hmm. Then I'm all excited, and now it's you. You tasted it. It was the one we had was not good. I would say in comparison to the the lions, the lion that you just busted out. Yeah, this is better than that first cup. This Although I don't think the first cup was bad, but in comparison to this, I can tell the difference. So when you go to Longs, you can get these huge bags. You know, the industrial size bags, yeah. sometimes for like fourteen bucks. Yeah, it's, it's cheap. Yeah, I think that little bag of Kona was like twenty dollars. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I think uh, at this point, nothing against Kona coffee or Hawaii. No, there's different levels. Yeah. I'm sure they're, the, they're, the it's all yeah. about the roast. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure that they, the the ones that you buy that are like, oh, 10% Kona is like the 10% of like, oh, we over roasted this. We're going to throw this in. Mm. We're going to jack the price up and we'll say it's Kona. I had a friend of mine who used to work at uh, <clears throat> Caribou Coffee in Minnesota. So Caribou Coffee is the equivalent mm. of Starbucks, right? I mean, that is it's the same philosophy i think and so a couple in minnesota started it years and years and years and years ago it was really good coffee uh, but i had a friend of mine who worked there and she said that whenever they got the kona coffee in like once a year probably around this time of the year the kona mm -hmm. coffee would come in lines out the door okay because it's kona coffee so i, yeah. I and i just, i just never bought into it i just like i like what i like you know what it's like what it's like when you're trying to pick out a guitar mm. you can like you can look at the brands and you but if you pick up a guitar it could be a martin it could be a taylor but if it doesn't feel right it doesn't matter 
Yeah, it's not all about the brand. Yeah, it's I mean, about that individual roast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it is. Yeah, I think so. And you know what I noticed is the best coffees are by the Pacific Northwest hipsters that are roasting it. You know, like Olympia coffee. I don't know if you're deep into the new hipster I'm, coffees. I'm drinking McDonald's coffee on you're a daily not, basis, so I, I am no longer in, in the, the the coffee scene. Well, your the the coffee budget goes up six hundred percent, so that's the problem. <laughs> But then you go over there and, you know, they're like, it's roasted yesterday. <laughs> and you're like, how did it get to you? Right. I know, right? And then you taste it. It's so good. You know, they, they don't overcook it. You know, I think that's the thing is we got used to burnt coffee. Oh, okay. And I'll just say this. Starbucks is burnt. What's a burnt coffee? It's, it's burnt. I, did, I didn't realize that, I think, until I started experiencing different coffees. Like I would, like Minneapolis, when I was like 30 years ago, had a pretty decent coffee scene. I mean, downtown Minneapolis, they had some really, Jitters was a great coffee place to hang out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cafe Royale. So I married an axe murderer. <laughs> that was time. That this was, was the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. This is the Friends coffee shop time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's like when you vibe. went down there and kind of cruised and, and they had great, great coffee. Uh, and then I got roped in. I don't know. Starbucks put something in their coffee. I got roped into that. It's all you could get. That's what you wanted. That's what we did. Um and then um, I'm kind of like, again, it, okay, in McDonald's coffee, uh, it's Hawaii McDonald's coffee that I like. Yeah, I've had it on the mainland. Sure. It's different. You're so right. I don't know what it is yeah. about the Hawaii McDonald's coffee, but it's good. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing I like about all McDonald's, and at some point we'll transition into what this podcast is going to be about. <laughs> I'm so excited. But- <laughs> But I think McDonald's always standardizes their roasts uh, across the, the island. So they must have, I don't think there's this guy scooping. I think there's a packet that's pre- Yeah, they, yeah, they just you know, open, they open it go. up for yeah. It's the same amount. Yeah. You know, and it just comes out. You can go to Wyanite. It's a good coffee. I love that. It's, it's the dollar. consistency. Yeah. 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 The prices went up. A cup of coffee oh. is now a for a large, yeah. it's now a buck fifty six. Okay, yeah, yeah, a no, year ago it was a dollar five. Mm. I'm getting close though to getting my senior discount because that's at fifty five. I think it's at fifty five. Yeah. I think I get so I got you yeah. know I got about <clears throat> two and a half years, and then I get my my discount. I think they let you in at four a.m. too instead of because <laughs> you're already up. It's like if you have no, the Costco card, no. they, you get in there. So McDonald's opens at five a.m. Right, at least the one in Einahina that yeah. I go to. Right, and so I'll get up, and sometimes I wake up five thirty. Sometimes I just wake up. Like today, I set my alarm, left my alarm in on the kitchen table, so I just woke up randomly. Okay. So otherwise, I don't know how that plays into the story. But anyways, so I so I get in my car, and no matter it doesn't matter at five a.m. In my neighborhood, just the 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 kapuna come out and they're just walking. Like, they're all over the place. They do their morning walk at like five thirty a.m. Right. I'm like, why are you up? Because this means they had to get up, get ready, and then get out of the house. So they're waking up at like at four thirty, four forty five to get out of the house at five a.m. Yeah. so they can walk the neighborhood. But it, it's pretty. It's actually pretty amazing because I'm beginning to recognize people as I'm on my way to McDonald's. Sure. I'm like, hey, there's this auntie or this yeah. uncle. And they got their dog, and they're they congregate in little groups, mm. you know, like little Kapuna gangs, yeah. uh, <laughs> and talking. 
I had a point to that when I started. I don't. I don't know what it is. Well, the thing is, that the coffee from McDonald's is it brings the community together. That's what we're saying. <laughs> we the should level be. Is very we should high. be sponsored by McDonald's have, at this point. Yeah, you have zombie-like <laughs> grandparents walking the streets at three in the morning. Oh my gosh! And then they finally get to their destination, and everyone meets there. And there you go. That's a good life, actually. I hope that I get to end up there. Wow. You know what I'm saying? We're talking. 25 years from now i'll be up at two yeah there you go go to bed at four you go to bed. <laughs> get up at two <laughs> that's just you know send down the sun up man this is something just kind of clicks in your head yeah i got i got a taste of that during the pandemic when it's like i started going to bed at 8 30. oh my gosh i was up at three oh doing my thing you man. know i just realized i'm just getting up i'm then I check the news for three hours. <laughs> you panic a little bit. I go, oh my gosh. <laughs> I feel my heart. heart you know, it's like, that was a special time where we're just living like uh, seniors. Yeah. Retirees. Retirees without the, without the uh, comfort of a retirement plan or yeah. anything to do. Zero 401k. Yeah. The whole deal. The whole deal. Oh man, I tell you, it's it's interesting. I don't even want to think about that. I'm 52, going to be 53 in three months, okay. under three months now. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's like I don't know. My kids better start saving their money so they can take care of me. Well, that's what you did. Is there's you raised them well, and it's we're, we're out of we're three, in process. One out of three will. <laughs> I will have the money. I've, yeah, I've already zeroed in. So it's going to be Keala because I've, I've point blank asked her. Yeah, we've, well, we can identify that. She's top notch. She is. She. I mean, all my kids are top notch. No, they are. But she's academically, she's really driven. She she's, is very driven. Yes. The traits that she has yeah. might equate with stability. Yeah, I think so. And, I, and I, I, I probably two years ago just point blank asked her. I said, listen, who's taking care of us when we're old? Silence. I said, Keala. She's like, yes, yes, dad, of course, I'll take Aww. care of you when you're old. So she stepped up, and, and I don't know if that's a middle child thing or, I don't know, you're a middle child. Is that no, a middle child thing? The responsibility, a, and I don't know. No, no, it's not. <laughs> but I, I think with her, it, it, it's she, she seems to be, if there's a woman in the family, they're going to be number one. Probably, you're right. You I know, think there, that's what it is. There's a level of just responsibility they hold. Yeah. Um, depends how you, how fast you get old too. That's true. If you get old slow, your sons can really step up. That's true. That's true. If you were to get old right now, Keala's <clears throat> solid. Dude. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. That'd be I Zeke think. is Zeke's got it too. But you know, Keala, she's she's gonna she can hold a lot of plates. I believe. I think she yeah. can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zeke is definitely the one who uh, like like he'll he'll go out of his way. He will. Um, and if you ask him to do anything, he'll do it. Yeah. Plain and simple. So whether he wants to, whether he wants to. And he's at the age where he doesn't complain about it so much anymore, unless it's really inconvenient, which there's not a lot of really inconvenient stuff for him in his life right now. Mm -hmm. So that, that works out. But speaking of getting old, so, uh, so, so we could like do a year in review actually, as we get into this, yeah. you know, it's interesting. So I've, it's, um, so we've had, well, okay. So hold on. So you've been married for how long now? We just made one year in October. In October, yeah, yeah. What's your anniversary? October twenty second. Twenty second. Yeah, that's so right. We went actually. We went to the Halikulani 
to the, you know, the nicest hotel that we got in town. There you go. And um, we were just going to go, you know, let's go do two nights somewhere. Or and then we realized, you know what? No, let's go one night at the best. Nice. And we called up. Great deal. I mean, I recommend it. But we got there and we were so spoiled. Really? The, the service level is so high. And we couldn't even... We, you can't compare two nights at the Sheraton to one night at the Halikulani. Really? And where is the Halikulani? It's right on the beach in Waikiki, right, right. next to the Sheraton. Right. So um, it's... But it's kind of the spot, you know, where they say customer service is top. It's, yeah. the, it, it's like the Ritz yeah. or whatever. But higher because it's just them. And then, um, you know, we spent one night there and we... We were totally refreshed. Nice. And that was our anniversary gift to ourselves. But we decided to finally do our honeymoon. That's right. So we're going to go to the mainland. That's yeah, right. We'll, yeah, spend a week up there and just kind of do it because we didn't get to do it. So yeah. pandemic. And, and, and people have to realize that. So when you live in Hawaii, when you do a honeymoon, you, you go to the mainland. You got to go to the mainland. Yeah, that's the exotic destination for Hawaiians. Yeah, just to see those white people and <laughs> I know. to see how they live. I know. It's weird. And as a white person, it's mm -hmm. weird to go to the mainland because there's so many white people there. Like I, I right. like you get on the, like when you, you know, jump on Hawaiian Air or whatever, you get yeah. to the mainland and you step out and you're just like, man, there's a lot of white people. There, there are. And, you know, we love them. I love them. Yeah. I am well, a white man as well. Yeah. Half white. Um, but I want her to experience that too. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because she's changeable Japanese. Right. Yeah. No, but she's been to the mainland before. But we're going to do California, just, you know, Disneyland, yeah. stay at a nice hotel for a couple of days. Nice. And just chill, take her around. And so much yeah. she do in California. And Disneyland, again, I love my kids. I've only been to Disneyland once. Mm -hmm. My kids were younger. We did that as a, uh, when Kareen was done with all of her cancer treatment stuff. Maybe, I'm not sure how long after that. Um, we're just like, hey, you know, we're going to do a family trip. You know, kind of celebrate her being done with everything, being healthy, mm -hmm. healed, all mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. And, and we went. And I, I would just say that uh, I think Disneyland without kids would be amazing. No, not that my kids made it bad or yeah, anything. Yeah. like, But you're so stressed out wanting to give the kids a great experience. Mm -hmm. And that you that you're focused on that, and that I freaked my kids out. Why? <clears throat> um, so we were trying to get on this one, the one ride that like you step into the elevator and it just drops and oh, whatever yeah, like yeah. that. But it was it was so backed up that we just couldn't get onto it. So we went on like the Indiana Jones one, and as we're standing in line, so Israel was way too small to go on this, but Keala and Ezekiel. They were like, yeah, as we're standing in line, they're looking at like, they got like skeletons all over and they're starting to get super nervous. I'm like, ah, you guys will be fine. They're like, I don't know, dad. I don't know. I'm like, no, like, we're standing in line. We're like, we're going, on the ride. like, we're going on the ride if we're standing in line this long. And they were just like almost on the verge of tears before we got on the ride. Let's just say by the end of the ride, they may have been traumatized. <laughs> we may have to have some therapy sessions about this. They That's were cute. crying. It was just, it was awful. It was an awful experience. Yeah, it sounds like um, I'm like them. I, I don't like these rides. She's all excited about these rides. Right. You know, she's like, we're going to get there at 7 a.m. I said, 7 a.m.? <laughs> what are you talking about? 
And she said, we're riding every ride. Oh, my God. Every ride. I mean, there's a lot of these rides, right? So now I feel like she's you dragging me. <laughs> you, to making me get, go on these scary all rides. These rides that you're going to be, be crying and she, weeping know, by the said, end. I love the roller coaster. I said, I can't do it. I think I can try. I mean, how scary can they be at Disneyland? No, it's not that bad. Anyway, we're excited. We love it. It's just if your body can handle, like, was it Space Mountain where it's all dark and you're going like, that was like maybe whiplash on that. Oh, one. okay. That was pretty okay. gnarly. I know this. I, you know, the Gravitron. Yeah, yeah, spins yeah. This yeah, way yeah. at our local carnivals. Yep. So I felt my heart like really hurting. <laughs> oh, no. Right. Yeah. The last time I was on, I said, oh, no. I mean, something could have happened that we didn't diagnose it, but. Anyways, that's why you have life insurance. There you go. Oh, my yes. gosh. Okay. Wow. <laughs> this is an epic trip for you coming out. It's epic. I, I mean, I'm not scared of these roller coasters. I, I'm excited about yeah. Disneyland. I've never been a Disney person. But, yeah, it's like we're experiencing it's like just being kids. Just go around, yeah. hang out, see what happens. And it was it was fun to see. That. I mean, my, our kids, like we did, um, we, like we had a pass stayed right in a hotel right there by was it California Adventure Land or whatever, Oh yeah, whatever you stayed in there? So we had two, okay. yeah, so we had the pass for both. So we did one day here, one day there. It was great. I mean, it was it was awesome. We had a wonderful time. Um, but yeah. It's it's a lot of work when you have kids. Oh yeah. I think it's just you and Aki, you guys are going to be stoked. Yeah, but also I'm I'm a, like not a young age. So what? this is hard for me oh, just yeah. going without the kid. Bring your lion's coffee. Make your lion's coffee before you go. You'll be fine. I don't know what I need. I need one of those. What do you call those where you stand segways? <clears throat> Defibrillator? No, what? I at least need an EpiPen. There you <laughs> go. Just bring tired. it. Just bring just it. You, never, you never know. Yeah. You never know what you're going to need at Disneyland. Oh, uh, my gosh. So, yeah. What about you, though? It's been a year. You, you, you've you been um, hitting the streets, doing your work, changing the community, right? Well, something's been happening. Yeah. So, no, it's been good. It's been. So, yeah. So, work has been going good still. Um, able to work with programs at the place that I work, uh, helping the community now. So, and actually I'm super stoked. Okay. So a couple of interesting things. One, so probably going back into the prisons again, which is going to be great, which I loved to do. Um, so we've got, um, hopefully we're going to get some grant money for that from our work and be able to go in for the prisons. And then, and I'm hoping actually that we can get back into, um, like the recovery centers as well. Cause we did like Salvation Army, um, we worked with the guys there, so I'm hoping um, we can do that, which uh, I want to say it's more fulfilling, but I'm going to say it's more, I think it was more fulfilling for me as a recovered addict, alcoholic, to work with these guys who are in recovery uh, and just in a different space than the guys who are in prison. I mean, you're just in a different space, plain and simple, right? So um, it was just, it was nice to see because I knew that like, a lot of these guys, like, you know, they're working their program, you know, they have that contact with the outside where they have that responsibility where, you know, a lot of the guys that I worked with uh, in the prisons and jails here, you know, some of them were in for like, you know, they had five years left on their sentence. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know, it was great to connect with them, learned a lot from these guys, but the application of what they're learning fully wasn't going to happen for a while. Like mm -hmm. we would, we did parenting skills, things like that. 
Um, so I'm hoping we can get back into work with some of the recovery centers as well, and maybe even expand that. I'm thinking for work that what I'd like to do is introduce to my boss um, to see if there aren't any grants where we can specifically work with addicts and people in recovery. Because uh, if it comes down to it, um, a lot of our problems come down to the rampant influx of drugs in Hawaii. It's just, it's all over the place. And the pandemic did not help. I think with the, you know, a lot of people, you never hear this on the news. The mm -hmm. opioid epidemic is still in full swing. Like they've, they have a lot of different boundaries and a lot of different things in place to where uh, they limit legally how you can get the opioids. Like the doctors aren't prescribing them or over prescribing them anymore. But I believe the stat for this last year uh, 122,000 opioid deaths in the U.S. Mm. And that that's just opioids. That's not the other drugs. Like this is, and it's, uh, a lot of it has to do with, if you're buying it on the street, it's cut with fentanyl, a huge fentanyl epidemic where um, that's that's what's killing people left and right. Uh, but it's, it's interesting. So yeah, so my year though, so July was an interesting month for me. So we do a big family camp, right? We go up right. to Malikahana and all that. So right. I, I jumped on the slack line. Never done a slack oh, yeah, line yeah. before. I, was, I remember this. Yeah. So I <clears throat> got about halfway across. It's like my 10th attempt to try and go across the slack line. Mm -hmm. And I stepped off into nothing. Right. Landed flat. Broke a rib. Right. Retore my labrum that I had surgery on in 2018. And... Ended up after going in that, because uh, I thought I was fine. I thought I pulled a muscle in my back. My shoulder hurt. It was, it was, but I was pretty much out for the rest of the camp, which Kareen was not really happy about. Um, so about a week after camp was done, I'm just like, you know what? This pain is not going away. I'm going gonna, gonna to go in. So I went into urgent care. They x-rayed. They're like, yeah, you have trouble breathing? I'm like, yeah, a little bit. They're like, yeah, you broke a rib. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I broke a rib. And then they MRI'd my shoulder, only picked up. Uh, a tear in one of my rotator cuffs and I'm like describing the pain. So of course, insurance, you have to go through the physical therapy first, right? Yeah. Can't do anything else, which is, I, and I told the doctor, I'm just like, listen, physical therapy is not going to help this. I'm like, I know what the pain is. Like I messed something up. It's not like, Oh, it can be repaired, but you have to do this, which don't even get me started on insurance. Have to do this. So I go and do that. Does absolutely nothing. Sure. Come back. They do a contrast MRI. They discover, a second terror in rotator cuff and that I totally messed up my labrum, retore that and that I had a partially torn bicep tendon. Mm. So that was my July. So in between that diagnosis in July, flying off the slack line, mm -hmm. I was throwing axes and hatchets in my backyard. You have these little hatchets to so built an axe showing target, sure. which I just have to, I have to say, my wife bought the hatchets. I'm just gonna say this. This was not like, well, this is Aaron. Of course, you're like someone hatchet. Something's gonna happen. Like, you no, know, my this was my wife's idea when the pandemic hit way back in whenever it was. Right? Was it 2019 or whatever? Uh, so I built an axe showing target, and I got we, and we just bought these new axes. And so you could throw it with a broadside. They're little hatchets, and stick it in that way. Or you have you have a point on the end on the backside of the hatchet, right? Right. And so I was like, oh, I'm gonna throw it that way. <clears throat> Well, I was too close to my head. Oh, no. And so when I threw it, the very bottom edge of the broad side of the hatchet caught the back of my head and 
basically slashed my head. I had to go in and get 10 staples in my head. Did not know that. You didn't know I that? I didn't know that. Oh, I got pictures I can show you later. Oh my um, yeah, so I'm out there. <laughs> my kids describe it as this. My, my son Israel and I are out there throwing. He goes in and said, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we heard this bang and then swearing. I'm like, did I swear? They're like, dad, yeah, you swore. I'm like, I don't remember swearing. All I remember is going back, throwing, feeling it hit, hit my head. And then I just let go of the ax right yes fell to the ground and yeah. apparently swore yes which is understandable right who cares yeah man, you're right bleeding yeah. out you need <laughs> attention so i put my head on my hand i'm like okay i'm bleeding so i go in kareen's already stressed she's making dinner all this stuff is going on the kids are like dad are you okay like dad hurt himself i'm like okay first of all don't tell your mom that i hurt myself because that's i'm already i'm behind the eight ball on that already okay, okay. this is not going to end well for me you're you're okay. down a lot of points. Yeah, this is not good. I'm not digging myself out of this hole. So I walk in, Kareen's frantically doing dinner. We had a bunch of other stuff going on too. And she's like, what? I'm like, so I'm like, oh, here, can you look? And she's like, so it's not like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And how can I help you? She's just like, oh, Aaron, what are you doing? I'm like, is it bad? She's like, you're going to have to go in. And she, she stops. And she's like, Aaron, I can't deal with you with an ax in your head right now, okay? <laughs> like, that's almost <laughs> verbatim what she said. And if anybody knows me and knows my wife, that's understandable. Yeah, remember that old Halloween costume with the ax in the head? <laughs> it was pretty much that. So she's like, you know, so she's like, so two of my kids have their permits for driving, mm -hmm. right? Um, and... Um, at that point, back in July, we're not experienced enough to where I was going to have them drive me with a slash in my head mm -hmm. to urgent care. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I'm fine. She's like, I can't stop dinner. I'm like, what? Do you, like, what am I supposed to? I'm like, I'm fine. So I tell, I tell my my, I'm like, go get me my hat. They're like, what? Go get me my hat. So they grab my baseball hat. I grab some uh, paper towels, put the paper towel on my head put my hat in my head, I'm good to drive. Wow, this is a bad decision. No, it worked out well. So drove to urgent care Okay. with my hat and the paper towels on there. And the weird thing about this is it was not bleeding profusely. Oh, okay. It was, I guess, in a part of my skull to where it just, it just opened up. So it just kind of split open. But it was bleeding a little bit. So I, I had to go sit in urgent care for like half an hour before they could see me. Uh, and then I guess because it wasn't bleeding profusely, I was like third or fourth in line. They're just like, okay. They came out and just said, no, we just like, are you okay? I'm like, well, yeah. They're like, oh, okay. We just heard like axe and head. And so we didn't know how bad. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I can wait. And here's the funny part. So I get in there. So um, the doctor... Oh, no, so no, I'm sorry. This is a different doctor. So the doctor does it. He goes, okay, yeah, puts 10 staples in my head. I'll go back. When I had to go get my staples out, this is the funny part. The same doctor who um, a year and a half ago uh, saw me when I pulled my hamstring when all the families were playing touch right. football with the kids. So I pulled my hamstring. This doctor is just like, dude, what are you doing at your age? You mean to be coaching on the sidelines. Let the kids play, brother. Let the kids play, okay? That's what he said to me. Right. He's like, you know, you know, our age, dude, let the kids play. Same doctor who I go in, who diagnoses my broken rib mm -hmm. and my shoulder, mm -hmm. 
Same doctor now. I go in, who takes my staples out. And I walk in, he's, I'm like, I'm like, hey, he's like, I'm like, do you remember? He goes, I know you. He goes, I know you. He just shakes his head and goes, yeah, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> takes the staples out. And I go. So, yeah, that kind of sums up. That was my July. That kind of sums up my year there. Physically, it's been rough. It's been rough. I had to, had to have surgery. So I had to repair the labrum. Oh, yeah. One of the tears in my rotator cuff, they they removed a portion of my bicep tendon, mm -hmm. took that out, and then they screwed the remaining part of my bicep tendon to my upper arm bone. Wow. Um, and, yeah, I'm doing great now. How's your mobility? It, no, I got great range of motion. Okay. Yeah. So I was in the sling for six weeks. Um, which was not fun. I had to sleep in that thing. Um, but now getting back into what this podcast is about, addiction and recovery, yeah. okay? Um, so the big thing uh, that we had to handle, and I, I figured knowing knowing me, this will probably not be the first time this comes up, but knowing me, um, so I had to go in for surgery, and it was, <clears throat> I wasn't nervous about it. If I Okay, if I'm a completely, if I'm 100% honest, there was a part of me that was sinking. You know what? I got to go in for surgery. So they're going to put me under and they're going to give me pain meds when I come out. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things, when I relapsed, I relapsed on, on opioids, right? Mm -hmm. And so going into the doctor with back pain and <clears throat> getting hooked on the, um, it, uh, the Vicodin and the Oxy and all that kind of stuff. And there was a little part of me that was excited. I'm not going to lie. Mm -hmm. There's that, still that part of me where this is the, just the way an addict's mind processes stuff to where I was like, I get to under a doctor's care, take drugs. Now, so my mind is thinking, you know, when I was taking like 15 to 20 of them a day, like you, you get that, you know, you're just not lucid really at that point. Right. You know, and there's moments of feeling whatever, um, before it all goes to hell and your life falls apart. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had to keep that in check. And so I had to sit down. So Karina and I had to have a serious conversation about how are we going to approach this? And she was nervous and rightly so. So she's like, okay, so like what can like Tylenol three? I'm just like, okay, they're like going to be doing a lot of stuff to my shoulder. I don't like, I guess I could probably just tough it out. I mean, whatever. I got a decent pain tolerance, high threshold for pain. My God, I think I could just tough it out. Um, but that little voice in my head saying, yeah, but you can take, you can take, you can take the drugs. Like this is your, you have a free pass to take drugs now. And you haven't been on drugs for like four years. Right. So you're going to feel something, Aaron. And it, it's, it's a wrestling. So I'm like, so June 12th, I hit four years sober. So it's four years and whatever okay. months, right? So this is, so I had the surgery in October. So July, August, September, October. So it's four years, just over four months sober, right? Mm -hmm. So, so I know how my brain works. And I was like, but there was, I'm not going to say it was a battle. Like I'm going to do whatever I can to, you know, want to take these things. So there was, a, there was that initial, like I get to, you know, and then there's this, I don't know about for anybody else out there, but for me, there's a romanticizing of it. And I catch myself still doing this, like whether it's with, with drinking or, and you remember like, oh, you know, it, it was so good. You could relax with a drink. I'm just like, this whole last relapse, I did not relax with drinks. It, mm. it was no relaxing. It was not like, hey, this is great. It's not like when I was in my 20s and using and drinking where it was party time. And um, and even that, it wasn't like super party stuff like that. But I mean, that was kind of the the life experience behind it. Like when you're in 20s, 
you know. So now, so Karina and I had to sit down and have a serious conversation about this. And I had to realize how stressful this was for her. Because I went, in, went into it going, you know, okay, you know what? I, I don't want to relapse again. You know, I don't want to get into that cycle. Um, and I don't want to, to get to a place where I begin to mentally obsess over being able to take these drugs. And my mind can easily go there. So I realized in the conversations that I would have that this was really triggering for Kareen. And so we, and we had to have some pretty uh, blunt conversations um, about why she was nervous. And, and, I, and I, I was gonna say I had to sit and listen to it, but that's the wrong heart. It wasn't, I would say, so I got the opportunity to hear what she was nervous about. And I couldn't placate her. I couldn't just go, oh, well, you know, it's, honey, you know, I've been sober for four months, or I'm sorry, four years, four months. It's gonna be fine, you don't have to worry. Because I put her through hell mm -hmm. from like 2012 all the way through to 2018. That's six years. And I can't diminish what my decisions and what the disease of addiction did to me and even more so to my wife and my kids. And so it was painful to have to, I don't want to say relive, but it was painful for me to see the pain that I caused in her. And it, uh, it was a, for lack of a better term, it was sobering to have to sit and realize that these wounds are still not healed in her um like our marriage is probably the strongest it's ever been wow um we're doing amazing uh we're not perfect by any means and we both have our moments but to have to sit and have her process with me her fears what could happen um and i and i had to allow her uh to process through that right and couldn't give her a little, just like, no, it's going to be fine. Or like, don't you know I'm different? Or can't you see all the work I've put in? Because it wasn't about me at this moment. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that we have to understand, especially as an addict is the carnage and wreckage that we cause in other people's lives. It doesn't just go away because we get clean and sober. It doesn't, you know, just because I'm a, a recovered addict and, and I'm going to talk about that in, in just a bit, like in recovery or recovered. And because I've had kind of an epiphany on this that I, yeah, I'd like yeah, to I'd share to with some people. Yeah. But um, so as a recovered addict, uh, I have to realize that the damage I caused in my kid's life, in my wife's life, they have a healing process to go through. And they didn't necessarily have the intense support that I had mm -hmm. going to rehab, coming out. They had a great community around them. We still have a great community around us. But there's things that they have to process and I have to be open to listening to what they're going through and the triggers that happen. And I have to be okay with it. I can't get impatient, even though I do. Mm -hmm. I can't think or say like, why? Like, I don't understand like why this is an issue. I do think that I do my best to not say that, uh, but I have to allow them their process of healing. And at times, it may take longer for the healing to happen in their life than it is in my life. Yeah, that's really interesting because 
I, I grew up in a home too, where that was, my mom was an alcoholic. So that was the situation. And I would always, for her, you know, she could even be doing the right thing, even compared to her peers. You know, I'm just having one drink at that point. She was, right. you know, she never really beat it. But, um, and we would be like, it would trigger us so bad. We'd be yelling at her. It's just doesn't matter. It's, right. If you have one, wow. it's the same. And you know, I mean, we're on a 10. So when she does one thing, I'm on a 10. She ratcheted down to a zero. You know what I mean? And she's living her whatever. Then she messes up one little bit. And then it goes up to one, which is totally fine in society, let's even say. Right. I go from 10 to 11. Right. And we start blowing up. Right. And um, I think that's, um, and then that leads to my addiction. Right. Right. But there's so much, um, so much to unpack that no one ever, like you said, no one helps the family. Yeah. I went to an um, Al-Anon meeting. You did? Okay. Yeah. So you've been to, okay. I've been to them because you know, that's where we were at. Like yeah. a social worker told us to go to that, right. you know, and, um, but those are, you know, they they're not meant for children, right? You know, they're meant for adults. And, anyways, it, it is a big thing, and there is there aren't as many resources. Thank God, I found the Lord. Yeah, or else I would have been lost. Yeah, you know what I Absolutely. mean. But that was kind of the the hedge of protection, I guess, for us. But you're right. Even when you're doing good, we're still at a ten. Yeah, you met you mess up one bit or even hint at it, we're exploding. Yeah. So did so did you go to like one Elanon or did you go to a couple? Like we what went was to like, like a couple? Yeah, yeah. So what was that experience like? Like we, how old? So how old were we you? We were probably in our teens. So I was probably thirteen or fourteen. Oh, okay, yeah. wow. Yeah. So what do you remember from that? It was at Holy Nativity, right down the road. Oh, and, okay. You know, it was people sharing about their struggles, you know, in families with addiction. Yeah. And it could. I don't really remember to tell right. you the truth, but I remember it's something that I. You know, you, you don't want to go to. Yeah. So you're just, I think this is, this is the whole thing. And, uh, you know, growing up in families that are dysfunctional, you carry those things into your adult life. Absolutely. That, that's really, everyone's got it because everyone's family is dysfunctional, but yeah. especially for your family, you know, you went through that, but I bet your family wasn't, you know, we, we we've talked about your, it's just yeah, yeah. a cycle, right? Yeah. And so for us too, that was, but I am pretty, it's amazing because I think God does make kind of the, the difference in family's life to turn it around, yeah, to break absolutely. the cycle, to break that. Yeah. And I, I really rarely seen apart from God, people make that, kill that whole cycle. Yeah. I think of my brother's family, your family, even you're doing a great job. Max's family, the kids, you know, they're. They, they're not, they don't deal with what we had to deal with. Right. But I, I, I know what Max went through. And so I right. just go, oh my gosh, how yeah. did that happen? Yeah. And same with your family, Aaron. I think you guys really have something that's super special now. Mm. People would look at your family and they would say the same thing. And they would say, wow, how do you guys have what, how do we have, get what you have? Right. Yeah. And it, and it's true. And thank you for that too. And, and I, it's interesting because I, I, I have to remind myself of that as well. Because talking about, Max, like it's so, it's so interesting to hear stories 
of the, of the human hacks that you guys tell mm -hmm. when you guys were going to Kaiser or a high, you know, whatever you went to Kaiser, right? Kaiser. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, because, well, I'll put it this way. <laughs> Don't take this the wrong way, Ben. Yeah. Some of the stories, just, I know you, I've known you longer than I've known Max. Uh -huh. So, and we've just had more deeper conversations than Max and I have. Um, when you tell some of the stories, I can go, I can totally see you doing that. Ben. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> and not in a bad way. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying, yeah, right? I love true. you and you know what I'm saying, right? But when I hear some of the stories of Max, because I met Max as Pastor Max yeah, and, yeah. you know, and just all, and he's so, he's so, I mean, mischievous that, and all you guys, all the father boys are mischievous. You have this glint mm -hmm. in your eye and you got it right now. I can see it right now. <laughs> you have this glint in your eye and sometimes I can, I can just see it. Right. And so I can see that in Max a lot, but when he tells me stories of things that he had done, I'm just like, I cannot picture you, Max, doing that. I'm just like. And you're just like going, dude, you have no idea. Like I, I know, I know you, yeah. but, but it's, but again, my point is, um, that some people I think from the outside in look and go, wow, well, yeah, it's like, you know, I can't, I can't picture you doing that. Well, I don't know if anybody ever picked, <laughs> looks at me and says, I can't picture you doing that, Aaron. Most of the time it's just like, yeah, it makes sense. I could, yeah, pretty much, you know, well, it gets I think there. what's interesting is when I look at the families, you, you, you look at people's children. And as kind of the fruit that right. they are, right, right, uh, of a family, of a family's health in some ways. I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, just random bad apples that yeah. happen with great parenting. Um, everyone has them, or seasons in life for kids rebel. But you know, and your kids are the proof of your how you dealt with it. So when I look at them, I go that, just as someone who who's in the future, I would like a family. You know that. You know your kids are doing fine yeah you know they're good kids they're not on they're not you know they don't struggle with the things that we struggle with right. when we were kids right that's really the proof that's what i'm talking about yeah. when you look at your family you go oh man you guys have it you know we're Even getting when there. you're slicing your head with <laughs> axes you're talking about a, like a family moment that i never experienced right yeah you know my whole life i never had Dad outside, mom in the kitchen cooking right. dinner, kids running around. See, it's like a fake, it's like a movie. Right. But that's what we didn't have that. Yeah. So then we see that and then we go, just even as you're telling that story, that's actually what I was thinking. I was thinking, wow, wow you guys had a, that's a moment that people want to have. Right. And that it eludes so many of us, but you can't see it. Yeah. Because you're talking about your, your acts. Yeah. But I was thinking, wow, wow I wish my dad made... A right. thing in the outside for us to throw the thing and my wife, you know, my yeah. mom was in there and she would be yelling at my dad yeah. for getting in trouble. <laughs> it's like, that's what every kid in the world hopes for. Right. And you had it. Yeah. Man, you just blew me away because I never looked at it like that. And I think it's because what, as we're going through, I mean, for, I'll just say again, for me, you know, um, I never had that. So, I mean, my dad was always present, was a great dad, by no means perfect. Uh, my stepmom, totally different story. I've talked about that <clears throat> abuse and stuff that happened with her uh, and that I experienced that my older brother never experienced. Um, and so there's that dynamic. But to even think, like, when I tell that story, what the seed in my heart and my mind 
And what I picture as I tell that story with the ax in the head mm -hmm. is how frustrated Kareem was because that was in the midst of like us. We're I, like, that was like, I axed myself in the head, like literally a week and a half after I got back from camp, Sure, you know, and, um, I think I, yeah, I had already been to the doctor with the broken rib and all this stuff. So that's what she's thinking. She's just like, oh my gosh, Aaron, again. And I, and so I think about what comes, <laughs> this is, okay, again, so selfish, so selfish. Because what comes up to me is like, I didn't try to ax myself in the head. I didn't do this on purpose. Can I get a little sympathy? please. It's like, I got a broken rib. I got bad shoulder and now I ax myself in the head. Mm -hmm. So I'm, and that's what I think of. And I, I picture myself standing in her kitchen, Kareen frantically at the stove as stuff is like, you know, it was like a movie, like stuff is bubbling yeah, up yeah, and there's yeah. steam and she's trying to get stuff together. The kids are standing around going like, what the heck, dude, you axed yourself in the head. Come on, dad. Yeah. And her just going, being overwhelmed because I think, I don't know, we might've been in the midst of like an unresolved argument mm -hmm. then as well. Mm -hmm. And she, this was just like the ax in the head was the tipping point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like going, can I get a little love here? Like I'm the one bleeding. I'm the one with the head split open, but I have to remember that one, I got to see it from her point of view, but what you just said, mm -hmm. there are families and probably a majority of families, that don't have the luxury, the, the luxury, the the privilege, or even the healthiness to have both parents there having an argument about dad axing himself in the head and how he's gonna get to urgent care and still that be a loving moment in a family. I've never looked mm -hmm. at it that way. Yeah, the metaphor for the ax in the head is, is a deep one. Because you, you look at it from her point of view it's the same thing what we were talking about about addiction. Right. Yet you might someone you might have been a victim. Right. But it's a trigger for her. Wow. You're a victim of that, but yet you know. And then the the other side is, what a family moment. What a family yeah. you have. Yeah. That you have that. You know. I mean. You could just imagine, the whole scene. I can see it. Even though if I've never seen your house, I'll yeah. see it. Yeah. You know, I'll make up my own little grid and wow, right. the outside, like you made that thing and then she bought the axes. I mean, right. well, I want to grow up in that family, right. man. Like, yeah. you know, and you would have said the same thing when you were a kid. Oh, absolutely. That's a great perspective to have. And I, and I think, especially if you're listening to this and you're in recovery or you are recovered or, you know, you have a friend or family member that if addiction is going on and you're in that place of recovery as a family unit, I think that's great. I think there's moments that we need to step outside of the situation that we're in, that we step outside of where we've been as a family and we, we hit pause on those moments and we look at, yeah, so there was a little bit of chaos, there was tension. Um, there was frustration boiling over, but we were together in that moment as a family. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people that don't have that. And there's a lot of people who are trying to get out of active addiction, who don't see that that is a win. That is the right. sign of a, of a, 
healthy, getting healthy family, mm -hmm. right? Because it didn't blow up our family. Like, Kareen wasn't like, I'm done with you and I'm out of here. The kids were just like, oh my gosh. And I wasn't yelling at the kids or, or anything like that. Like, that was uh, an, an actually uh, a healthy family moment. So looking at it, like you're saying, from the outside in, that, I mean, seriously, like, that blows my mind then to, to, to think about because because I don't see it. And I think that, um, and I'm going to circle back around to the conversations that Karina and I had to have with my, with, when the surgery was upcoming, because I think it's important um, that um, people have those conversations and, and be real about how they're feeling and thinking. But what, what you were saying is, I think that that's a sign of hope that for me, and I think for some other people that I know who are recovered or in recovery, um, things are so chaotic during that time when you're in active addiction and stuff is, is falling apart that when you just get back to normal, and that's what I say. It's like rehab got me back to the starting line. It, like rehab wasn't like, oh, hey, I'm great to go. Like I got out of rehab and I think about it now and I still can feel it. Like I was still super jacked up. I was still just not, um, as healthy, obviously, as I am today. And I remember coming out of rehab and just going, man, I feel great. Like, you know, hey, things are going to be okay. <clears throat> and I didn't, I didn't know how it could get any better, right? And part of that was, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to repair my marriage. I don't know if my kids are going to like me. I have to go back and I have to reestablish and rebuild my entire life. Right? Mm. And the relationships that I broke and the trust that I broke that I, I, there's a lot of work that has to be done, but coming out of rehab, it's like, okay, I'm at the starting line. Like I'm back to, you know, I'm back to good. Like the baseline is there. I have a foundation underneath me that I can build on now. And for me, I mean, really that was when I went into rehab, it was really, it reestablished my relationship with Jesus, plain and simple. Like I, um, I realized that it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what good things that I do or like, you know, in ministry or as a pastor or even like whatever. <clears throat> That's not going to make Jesus love me anymore. Like he loves me just because. I cannot get any more favor from Jesus uh, than I already have because he loves me that much. But what it did was I didn't have to try and earn anything, Right. I didn't have to try and um, beg for God's forgiveness. I didn't have to try and make Jesus like me, right? Because he loves me. And I, with a clear head and a developing clear conscience at that point, I, could, I, I began to understand that, that I could, it was okay for me to be where I was at. It was okay for me um, to have my life had completely fallen apart. Mostly because of what I, my decisions, I think, wow. All of because of my decisions, right? And being able to build on that, that foundation and the foundation of the program and the 12 steps and, and have a community around me and my family together um, is what really helped us to get to where we're at. But to be able to say that, wow, that's a normal, you know, I don't know if axing yourself in the head is a normal thing, but that uh, was but, the one know. thing that was different. Yeah. 
than the Norman Rockwell painting. Right. It was the axe. <laughs> the in axe the head. in the head. That was yeah, yeah, but it was it was a modern version, yeah. you know. Of <laughs> the modern family. I, I'm version. just I'm picturing that right now, right? <laughs> but I think that that's what's so important for if you're you know, if your family's, you know, you know, if you're recovering that stuff from your family and reestablishing those relationships that take a moment to step outside of that and look back in and to see the the healthy things that are happening in your life, mm -hmm. in your marriage or in your relationship or with your kids, or if you're single with your friends or with your extended family, your immediate family, um, because it can, get, it can get overwhelming where you think that you're not making any progress or you're making a lot of progress. And I would say this is, I was at, I did this at times over the course of the last four years where I, I felt like I was so far ahead of where Kareem was at. And I'm just like, I'm better now. I wouldn't say this, but I would mm -hmm. think this. I'm better now. Why don't you catch up? Why aren't you like, why aren't we good in this area? Like, why are you still being triggered when I say this or say this? Um, and I have to realize that because she lived through hell and I caused a lot of that. Yeah. And I can't expect her to be anywhere else than where she's at. And my role as her husband and the person who loves her is I have to allow her to be there. And it's so difficult when I'm the one who's triggering her and I'm the root of that trigger for things I had said or I had done. Mm -hmm. I mean, even arguments that we've gotten into in the past couple of months usually rest on something that I say or do that I used to say or do when I was drunk mm -hmm. or when I was using and it's a phrase or it's a look. And she's like, you can't say that to me. And I could be totally justified outside of that trigger of saying like, this is a normal thing to say, but because, um, I manipulated her so much and, you know, a lot of gaslighting going on, convincing her that she was the problem, not me. Uh, that's still, you know, it still weighs on her. And I have to realize that she's in her own healing process and mm -hmm. I have to allow her to do what she needs to do to be where she's at and a hundred percent fully support her like she supported me. Um, not because she supported, supported me, but like she supported me, um, to let her get to the point of where she's healthy. Right. And I think we were sitting around and, um, you know, there's, there are damage and trigger in my relationship with my kids that, that do come up. And we were having a conversation with our kids. It was a very emotional conversation. It was one of those where Kareem was just like, I'm calling a family meeting. Now we rarely do that. It's like mm. a Cosby episode, right? Sure. Calling a family meeting. We're going to get together. I even get nervous when Kareem says we're having a family meeting. Mm -hmm. right? I'm just like, oh crap. Like what's like, what's going to go down? Right. You know, mm -hmm. and I knew it was going to go down. But it was like a solemn assembly, kids sitting on the couch, pillows on their laps, looks of trepidation on their face of like, oh crap, like, like, you know, and I'm sure, are we in trouble? What's going on? <clears throat> but it was a family meeting for us to come together and to just talk about some stuff that was going on. And it wasn't like, and again, it's normal family stuff. It wasn't like there was crazy stuff going on, like in the... But I have to realize that part of their reaction in that moment is a little bit more, like you said, now they weren't at a 10 going to an 11, but they weren't at a one, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's a, there's a stress meter, right? 
and we we've had to like bring our kids through counseling so that they understand how to process their emotions and and i think that this is a very generational thing for millennials gen z all this kind of stuff where um because of technology i'm not blaming technology but technology has not helped they don't know how to face to face in real life process their emotions mm -hmm. and they don't know how to feel their emotions and this is on top of them just being teenagers or being young adults like you have to figure that out you know our frontal lobe isn't developed fully now until we're 25. now you put in media and screens and disconnect and covid and pandemic and isolation on top of that you've got a freaking huge problem mm -hmm. um so as we sat down, I have to realize in that moment that I have to give my kids grace to be where they're at because there are things that are being triggered in them that are directly related to my addiction and what was going on that they have to learn how to process. And it worked out well. There was some crying involved and there was some, um, you know, semi-heated words and misunderstanding and walls that went up and not wanting we had to do like, no, okay, great. You can't say, I don't know how I feel, or it's like, that's fine, or that's okay. You need to put some verbiage to that. You need to explain, excuse me, how you're feeling. Not to tell us the why, but just give us some like, you know, it's okay. Does that mean like, it's okay, I don't want to talk about it? Because that gives us more to work with, right? Um, and it was so amazing, like, we didn't hear everything that we wanted to hear in the moment. Mm -hmm. Miscommunication between all of us at times, but what's broken in that moment and i think it's a total spiritual thing that what's broken is <clears throat> even if we don't resolve everything and our kids might not give us everything that we want to hear and expressing how they feel when that's done there's a likeness to our whole family dynamic mm -hmm. that is amazing yeah and again i'm going back to what you're thinking of just like i oh, man i wish i had a dad throwing axes and axing himself in the head and mom in there cooking dinner and us being able to come together like that. It's like one of those moments, like you've seriously radically blown my mind with that, Ben. I'm not joking. Like, well, I, I'm like, I need to carry what you said in that image with me the rest of my days. Yeah, I think that that's one of those things. That's kind of a, the recurring pattern when we talk was, I think what you guys hold and even because how you've dealt with the addictions, you now are this, I guess, an attainable family. Um, there's there's a, one can attain to what you guys have, which is a which is a great thing to strive for. But the family that doesn't that everything is fine and their kids go to Princeton and they you know, the dads out. There's a different right painting. Yeah, that people can't attain to it's not real right but what you have is real so it's it's the best that we can do right with nor the people that i know in my life right it's the best that we can do the other image is you know it's like christmas images right is the you know the father's out at work yeah the mom's all alone she's they're ordering in the thanksgiving meal you know, they're purchasing all these things. The kids are all on their screens alone. Right. There is no dynamic. It's cold. It's dark. It's gray. It's that. That's the picture. Right. 
And that's kind of what the world says strive for. Right. That's without any mistakes, without any addictions like right. that we're talking about. The warm family, the real picture, the, the axe in the head metaphor is that's actually where your kids are your friends. Right. You guys are having arguments. There's this family dynamic. You know, they're going, they're pursuing their thing. It's like you guys have something that's different, but that is the the thing to strive for. Right. That's what we want. We want what you have. We don't want what they have. Right. There's not very many other pictures. You know, there's either the broken and repairing attainable family picture. Right. Or there's this cold you know, perfect. Yeah. Everyone keeps it in. Yeah. No one makes any mistakes. And the whole thing is just a farce. Right. I want the real one. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, you guys paint that picture. Oh. And other families that we yeah. know have, they have their own thing too, but it's, it's a different version of the ax in the head. Right. Someone's got an ax in their head in every family. Right. And they're trying to, have that moment again, that what you guys are having. Right. So that it, it is a powerful metaphor, actually. I should write a book called Living with the Axe in the Head. The Axe in the Head. Yeah. I'm telling you, your life is a movie. <laughs> it, it is a movie and it is a painting. That's why, that's why, you know, we're talking about it. Oh my it. gosh. No, it's, it's so funny. I had one of those moments like the, it, with, with the dynamics of what we're talking about, which I hope is making sense to people. And that's when, um, when I was in my, in my addiction and it had come out, um, I think this might've been, I think this was before I tried to do the, uh, intensive outpatient rehab here on Oahu. Um, yeah, cause this is when everything first came out and, um, uh, our friend Dean, um, took me out for coffee and then in the midst of coffee said, so yeah, you're not going home. I've told this story before. You're not going home today. Kareen just doesn't want you around. And I was like, oh, gee, why? Okay. So you're going to sleep on our couch. And the dynamics are, obviously, you can't drink or take anything. You can't contact Kareen until, unless she contacts you first. Um, you know, and you have to abide by these, you know, by these rules if you're going to, if you're going to stay in, in my house. Now, so my friend Dean, you have to understand, I think at, at this time, I don't think they had adopted, no, because they hadn't adopted Pua or Bella at this point. Um, so I think it was just their normal other six kids or whatever, five right. kids, whatever it is. <clears throat> and um, I remember getting there that night, okay, get, you know, getting settled in or whatever. And all of a sudden, like, Dean sits down and I think it was just the, him and the boys. So there was like one, two, like three. I don't know. If, I don't know if his oldest was there yet or not, or if he was out. Uh, it might've been all of them. <clears throat> and just kind of sitting there, he just started talking. And I remember sitting on the couch going, what is going on? Like, what is this? Like they're sitting down and they're, they're talking. And I was like, what is this? A, a Cosby episode? Right. You know, and I, I get it. And I just remember sitting down and I remember telling Dean, like, this is the weirdest thing in the world. Cause I never had that really growing up in my house like mm -hmm. that. And definitely in my own home during this time, this wasn't happening because of where I was at and the, 
kind of the damage it was doing in my family at the time. And I just remember that it was one of those moments where it's just like, yeah, these guys don't have a perfect family. They got stuff going on. Oh my gosh, they're sitting down and they're eating and they're just talking. And, we, and again, we had done that, Karina and I, with our kids for years and years and years. But it, obviously at this time of my life, that wasn't necessarily happening because right. of, of what I was doing and the dynamics it was creating. But I hear what you're saying. And I just remember just going, this is so odd. But now on this side of recovery, looking at back at that, I'm like, I know that their family's not perfect, yet they strive to, in the midst of that imperfectness and tension, sit down and have that meal. And Karina and I, we, and we, we, we strive to do that too, you know, have that, um, you know, we'd like to do it every night, at least have mm -hmm. dinner together, right? It doesn't happen every night, but we have that, that's what we strive for. So we're eating a meal together uh, and connecting, uh, but it's so foreign that it seems unattainable. And that's what I was, that's what was sticking out to me as you're saying this. And I'm thinking about this experience I had at Dean's house was just like, like, who does this? That really is the norm mm -hmm. or should be the norm. And it's not unattainable. And I think for people who are just piecing their lives together um, or trying to repair the damage that have been, that's been caused in their family, especially if you have kids, especially if, if you have a wife or a husband that, it is attainable and it comes by allowing people to be where they're at and knowing that it's not going to be perfect. There's going to be tension in the moments at the dinner table, but guess what? You're at the dinner table together. That's yeah. a win. Yeah. The fact that you're sitting there, right? And you're doing it because that is laying a foundation and laying a track for health in your life that you're going to build off of. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't take much to just think back to, hey, what was it like when I was in my addiction? when I was making these bad choices and it was, it was horrible. And I think sometimes for me, the more time that goes by now being recovered, the more I forget how bad it was. Right. That brings in then, I think I don't have grace for Kareen and the kids because I'm like, everything's good now, but everything's not. I mean, everything is good now, don't get me wrong. It's not perfect. We don't think it's ever gonna be perfect. We're not looking to be per perfect. We're looking to be connected with one another in such a deep way that when it's imperfect and it's tense and we're mad at one another, it does not break up our family. It doesn't cut the relationship off because that's what drugs and alcohol does. It sucks you up into yourself so that you don't care about anything outside of yourself. Addiction is a horribly selfish disease and it turns everything inward. And all you can see, and I can only speak for myself, all I could see was, don't they see what I'm doing right? Um, they don't understand how I'm feeling and I don't wanna feel this way, so I'm gonna numb myself out. I'm going to get to a point to where I can't live unless I'm numb. I mean, I can't live. I can't exist unless I have these substances and things in my body because my body is now so physically jacked up that I can't function without substances in my system. And it, be, it lowers the bar so low to where you're just existing. And I know tons of people um, that are recovered, that are in recovery, um, that are still using um, that uh, 
don't realize that, right? That don't understand, I think, what we're talking about. And I, I desperately want people to understand that is um, that there is life after addiction for not just you as the addict, but for your family, for your friends. And some relationships aren't going to be repaired. That's just the way that it is. But you have to do what you need to do um, to build that bridge. And you can't control what other people say or think or do about you or if they want to repair that. And you have to live with that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well said. I love the... Um... I love that picture kind of like in the Christmas you know season just thinking about what it is that that people would want and I think of what addiction does is it just kind of isolates right yeah pulls you away till those things that we're just talking about they don't exist anymore you've ruined them and you're all alone and then it just feeds the fire right mm -hmm. and you keep going more alone I think that's kind of as we talk these years past just seeing the difference of community and family i think it's what everyone wants i think it's the goal of of a good life yeah you know what i mean in not only is it a sign of health it is the goal for of a healthy life right is that to have what you have to get that yeah. you know and and that's for me just i've been in that addiction side myself personally all the way alone it was a long time ago mm -hmm. and then kind of marching towards where you're at you know god's and everyone has their different journey it hasn't been mine hasn't been caused by my my aloneness wasn't caused by addiction right. per se. but still even as i grow i just got married what we're doing is we're marching toward what you have that's you know the addiction is the thing that keeps me from that right that's the goal right the the being clean is not the goal right having a family is the goal. oh my gosh yeah. so what you just so yeah. what you just said is is the hugest thing being clean and sober is not the goal yeah and i think that it's 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 a stepping stone along the way because you got to get clean and sober mm -hmm. but if you stop and i've and i know people who they're they're and again, not, nothing against, people are, are where they're at. This is not a judgment call on where people are at because we're all on our own journey, especially with those of us who are in, um, you know, recovery, all this kind of stuff that, that um, you know, at one point, but that was my thinking. My thinking was like, oh, you know what? If I can just get clean and sober, then, and I actually had this thought. I can't wait because then a year or so, I could probably just drink. Like if I can just stay clean and sober for a year, then man, next year, next summer, you know, I can have a beer with people and it'll be mm -hmm. okay. So, and that's, that's the thinking that is so off because right. I can't, I can't have a drink. Mm -hmm. I can't take mm -hmm. a drug outside of under doctor's orders with my wife and kids guarding the drugs. So I don't take them on my own. Right. Mm -hmm. Even if I'm taking them the way I'm supposed to, that if I would have stayed there, then that means that I'm not going to want to reconnect. Or even if I want to reconnect with my family, I'm not going to make the effort. Because it's going to end like, hey, I'm clean and sober. Right. Like, what more do you want? And I think my my wife's answer would be, I want you back. I want the man mm -hmm. that I fell in love with and married back. Mm -hmm. That's what I want back. Mm -hmm. I don't want just this clean and sober version of a shell of a human being. Because clean and sober, I guess, and this is just coming to me, Ben, 
didn't, it got me to the starting line. So I had something to build on, but I still had to allow for me, I had to allow Jesus to rebuild who I was. Mm -hmm. Now that's not just me sitting back and going, okay, you know, creating me a clean heart and all this biblical mm -hmm. principles, platitudes, which is crap. Like if you're just living on platitudes, you're not living life. It's hard freaking work, you know, and there's stuff that I had to deal with and I had to rebuild, mm -hmm. right? And it was the Lord's help in doing what he placed in front of me for me to step into that. And it was not easy. And again, this, you know, my story is not the most gnarly story out there by any means, maybe a middle of the road, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I know people who have had, who've lost far more and gain back more. Um, I know people who have lost far more and still haven't gained anything back. So it's not about comparing whose life was worse. Mm -hmm. It's it's about being where I was at and that clean and sober after it got me to the starting line. And from that, I had to work my butt off internally with who I was and where I was at as well as relationally. And had to essentially rebuild my life and rebuild my relationships. And we can't just look at it as being clean and sober because that's, you're robbing yourself of the life, right? Right. And, and, and um, of what you're at, what you're doing and, and where you want to go. Um, now, again, for some people, it's a slow process. For sometimes it's a quick process. Um, it's, I want to, circle back around to, so as Karina and I are having this conversation, there were things that I had to say and do going back to the surgery and like, how are we going to handle the drugs and how are we going to handle doing this? Right. Mm -hmm. and, and she, she wanted, Hey, you know, just Tylenol three, right. You know, just like just a hardcore Tylenol. Let's get that stuff done. And just, you get, in a sense, she's just like, you're going to have to live with the pain, bro. Cause I, cause she was saying, I don't want to take the risk. Mm -hmm. And she was speaking from her point of view and saying, I refuse to go through that again. I don't want you to be where you're at. Obviously she loves me and she wants the best for me, but she's also thinking this is too much. Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to, I could around. You know, I can't do yeah, there's around. no yeah. way. I remember when I was in having a phone conversation, when I was in rehab with her and she's like, Aaron, if you come back and you relapse, she's like, it's over. I'm taking the kids and I'm gone. She's like, I'm not going to divorce you, but I am not, you are not going to be in relationship with us. Um, and that was a very, that was hard to hear that I mm -hmm. brought our lives to the point where she would actually say, and, and what she was speaking out of her own hurt and her own um, lack and her own brokenness. And in that moment saying, I, that it would destroy us, that you, this is, that there's, she had nothing in her that could imagine having to go through anything like this again, not even that gnarly as it was not even to that degree but any that's how much damage and hurt and chaos i caused just in my wife's own heart mind and soul and i remember and i, and I have to remember that when we have these conversations karine and i that that's part of what weighs on her right that she's coming from that perspective and i have to respect that mm -hmm. and i can't expect any more from her. She has to be where she's at. And so I remember saying, okay, well, what do you, how can we approach this? So I talked to my addiction counselor um, and she's like, you know what? 
you know, the physical cravings are no longer there. The mental cravings are no longer there to get there real quick. But if you, you know, if you use medication as a doctor prescribes, it's not like I'm going to take that pill again. This is just for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to take that one pill and all of a sudden be jonesing for more physically because it's gone. It's, it's out of my system right now. The mental part, that's what I had to guard myself against because that little voice was saying, you get to take like, you're going to get, you're going to get a good feeling and it's going to be okay. It's mm -hmm. going to be legal. The doctor is going to prescribe it. I had to put checks and balances in my own heart, in my own mind so that I wouldn't stay in that nostalgic, euphoric, this is awesome feeling, right? Um, so I talked to my addiction, my addiction counselor. She was like, hey, if you want me to you know, have Kareen call me, I can, I can walk her through it, give her the parameters. Kareen is like, no, okay, Aaron, I, I trust you. And that's huge for Kareen to say, right? Hey, I know I'm trusting that you're giving me 100% of what your doctor is saying. And then she's like, you need to tell your, your surgeon though. And I was like, yeah, of course. That's what I said. On the inside, I'm like, yeah, but, and again, the, 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 the addict's mind. But what if the pain is more than I realize? And what if it takes longer? Because it's so strict now that they're, they're only give you the opioids for, the, for a very limited amount of time just to get you through so then you can just get on the Tylenol or whatever. Like, yeah, but what if it's really bad? If I, if I tell him, if I, if I tell my doctor that I'm an addict, then you know, maybe he won't give me any pain meds at all. And then what's that going to do for my physical recovery of my shoulder? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to have to deal with that. And I wrestled with it. I'm like, well, you know, I can, I don't have to tell him that, you know, it's probably somewhere in my records. He should know like all of this rationalization, right? But I said, no, I told him, but I, I told my, I told my wife, I said, Kareen, okay, yes, I'm going to tell him and did my pre-op appointment, sat down, he went through everything, went through what's going to have to happen. And so, um, and I said, um, I think this is the order of events. I think I said, Hey, well, you know what? I said, um, is there any way for me to not have pain meds? Like, can I, am I just tying on a three? And he looks at me, he goes, this is going to hurt. <laughs> I'm like, really? He's like, He's like, yes, because we can't just give you like Tylenol for this or whatever. He's like, this is going to hurt. Um, and I said, okay. I said, well, I said, I, you need to know that um, I'm like four years clean and sober. And I didn't know the reaction I was going to get. And in my mind, I'm thinking he's going to be like, oh man, okay, well, we got to do this. His face lit up. He's like, oh my gosh, let's talk about this. And I, he readjusts himself. So he's facing me. He goes, Thank you so much for telling me, Aaron. This is great. I'm so glad that you tell me. Let's talk about this. Completely different reaction than I thought. I thought I was going to get, oh, well, you know, we're going to have to be strict and all this kind of stuff. He's like, tell me about this. So I got to tell him, yeah, well, you know, I'm clean and sober. Then I relapsed in 2012 on pain medication. So I said, I'm a little nervous about it. My wife is really nervous about it. What can we do? He's like, okay, yeah. He goes, this is going to hurt. He goes, what we're going to do is this. He goes, we're going to give you... Um, the pain medication that we're going to give you. And he goes, uh, I'll give you, it's, you're going to take it for, you know, in the prescribed amount. He goes, do not deviate from that. Don't take less. Definitely don't take more. And you're going to do it only for the time frame that I'm going to prescribe it. And he goes, his philosophy is we're going to attack the pain from like three or four different angles. 
So you gotta have your sling that you have to wear for six weeks, not using your arm. Um, and he goes, you're gonna take the naproxen for the swelling, you're gonna take the, uh, the oxy for the pain, um, you're gonna, and there's a couple of other ones. He goes, you're gonna take them as prescribed, you're gonna take it when you need to. Um, and I think he asked me, he goes like, I don't know if he asked me or if I offered it up what the plan was, but I said, I already know that my wife is gonna manage the, I think I told him, I said, yeah, my wife and I talked about this, talked to my addiction counselor, this is what we're gonna do. And our plan was this, Kareen would hold on to the to the drugs. She would pick them up from the pharmacy, not me. Because mm-hmm. um, even in that drive from Long's sure, yeah, to yeah. home, literally it's a 45 second drive. I could pop that sucker before I got out of Long's and take one, she's not gonna know, right? So she's gonna pick up the meds, not me. Um, she's gonna go and do all this stuff. And then she's going to be uh, in control of it. And I already told her, I said, like, I said, okay, honey. So I'm just going to tell you this right now. You are horrible at hiding the drugs in our house. I'm like, you are just, she's like, wow. Which is a good thing that my wife is not a good liar or deceiver. I think that's a great quality to not have, right? To not be a good liar. Mm -hmm. But like when I, like when my kids were like, my daughter had major surgery on both of her legs, right? And they were given pain meds. And like, my wife was horrible at hiding the drugs. I'm just like, you know. Top drawer under your socks or under your shirts. That's like the first place to go to. In your purse. Yeah, that's the second place I'm going to go to. In her closet on the shelf behind the books. Yeah, that's the third place I'm going to. I'm like, honey, just just trust me. You're horrible at hiding the drugs. So just don't, Just you just have them. I won't worry about it. You put them where you're one, not going to forget that you have them. Um, and um, that, and then the rule was, or the, the boundaries were, um, she would give them to me. Uh, if, uh, so I had to, I had to take it like every four to six hours, two of them for pain. And, uh, especially the first week. So one of those was like at two or three in the morning. So obviously I'm not going to expect my wife to get up at two in the morning to give me my medication. Like that won't happen for another 20 years when I'm, you know, 80 in my seventies and she has to do it anyways. Mm -hmm. So she would. We'd get ready for bed, go to bed. She literally, she'd take out, she goes, okay, take this, take this bedside table. She goes, that's where it's at. That's all you're getting. So when you wake up, wake up and take it. And it worked well. Now she works. So when, if she's out of the house, I still need to take that. So she would just have my oldest and we would tell this. So it's not like putting pressure on him. It's like, okay, Hey Zeke, do you mind taking the medication or whatever? So it got to a point where even after the first week, to finish out the round of, of all the medication that I knew where the medication was. Everything was great. Bedside table, take it out, walk to my son. Hey Zeke, I need you to take, you know, I'm flash for, I'm flashing forward to like when Kayal is taking care of me and yeah. dad, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, pop, just take the ones in there. Mm-hmm. Right. And he'd be like, great. Boom. Give them to me. Great. I take it back from him, go and put it back. And it was, there was no pressure. There was no stress. There was no like jonesing for it. It worked and that was an amazing thing. But the process of us talking about the surgery, getting the surgery, having to figure out what we're going to do with the medication and then the implementation of it, that was a long journey. There was a lot of stress. There was a lot of um, triggers for Kareem. There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, and But it worked out. Because one, she trusted me, which is huge for her to do. 
And I have to realize the trust it took for her to say, I'm going to work. I know that the opioids are right there. I'm trusting you, Aaron. She never said this, but this was implicit. To not abuse these and to leave for the day as she works. And this is when I was, in, I mean, I was at home, so I was working from home anyways. And to come back and not like go through and count the pills. Like she was never doing any of that stuff. Like to me, wow, like that's, that's healthy. Yeah. That's huge. And that I have to realize, I can't look at like, well, look at how good I did. I have to mm -hmm. stop being so self-focused and go, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. look at how amazing Kareen and my kids did with this. Right. It was a huge victory for them. And I have to realize that post four years or four years post or whatever, I don't know what I'm trying to say, four years clean and sober, that I could miss that that's a victory mm -hmm. in my family's recovery. That we could have drugs in the house and my wife wasn't freaking out about it. It wasn't perfect. She was stressed a little bit. She wasn't freaking out about it. She wasn't micromanaging. She wasn't, she wasn't causing her fears to dictate what she would or would not do. How she would or would not communicate with me or the kids. Mm. That's huge. Because previous to that, that never happened. Ever. And I would even say that when my that Ezekiel earlier this year had a collapse, like a spontaneous, a spontaneous pneumothorax where his lung just collapsed and they gave him pain medications coming home. There was not this freedom and trust as there was with these pain meds mm -hmm. and all this. And I have to realize it's because I clearly communicated and that means I listened to the fears and triggers of my wife. Mm -hmm. I allowed her to be where she was at and I was willing I didn't want to, but I was willing to, if she said, Aaron, I, I don't think I can handle you taking pain meds. I had to be willing to say that I will go without. Right. And I was at that place. To me, that's a recovered family. Mm -hmm. Not perfect, but recovered. Yeah. Wow. That's a great picture. They're really, really, um, you guys communicate so well. I mean, I can't believe we have our moments. <laughs> She's relatively healthy. Aaron, yeah. Jeez. Well, the picture I paint is probably a little bit different than if Kareem was yeah. sitting here. <laughs> I'm not trying to blatantly lie, but this is my perspective. I know that Kareem has a lot more going on with this, and, I, and I'm sure that she would talk to about the depths of stress would be a little bit more mm -hmm. um, than what I'm conveying. But this is just like my observations of what her and I have talked about. Yeah, it's been a crazy year. I it mean, has. Those are great examples of you know, what the whole, your whole philosophy behind um, getting healthy and getting sober and everything, staying sober, you're just, you're living out just a, a good process. And it, like I said, for, for looking in, it's really been such a, I don't know, it's inspirational, kind of like the, the pictures that you paint. Because I don't think you realize how, like, rare it is that there's a humble guy in the equation you know i, I don't think we give up easily i don't mm -hmm. think we give up the control easily absolutely not so you know even though you might we could have this conversation with every person that we know it's a right. guy 
and then he has his axe, right. whatever that yeah. is. Get mileage. And then to give it to give it to someone else, I don't think there would be more than two out of ten right. of us that would be that. We all we all still have our axe, Absolutely. whatever that is. Yeah. But I think you've given yours over. I'm trying which is to really, yeah. I pick it up every once in a while. Yeah. But I tell you, this axe metaphor. It's, we're gonna do something with this. Yeah. It's, this it's is good, book, dude. See, this is why I love sitting down and talking to you because I, I don't see the these things, Ben. We, you, I don't have the in, like I've gained so much insight. So, I, so at the end of the day, like the, the other three people that listen to this, that yeah. I'm going to send it to and, and make them listen to it. Um, like for me, and I think I've said this before, for me being able to talk about this and hopefully it's giving somebody out there who's struggling with addiction themselves or a member of their family or a friend who's in, in, in uh, struggling with addiction or in recovery or recovered. Hopefully it's giving them some insight, some hope as well that there's there, but I, this is part of my recovery process. It really is not just talking about it, but I learn from you, Ben. Like I, there's insights that I get that I'm not going to get anywhere else. I mean that. Yeah. That's because we, we have such a good rapport all these years. We're talking about all these things that don't matter. <laughs> I, Hey, then when we finally talk about something that does matter, it, something happens, something happens. Yeah. And I think that's actually for me too. I walk out, I say, wow, the goal of my life in isn't whatever that is not right. sobriety. It could be success. It's not right. money. It's not this. It's not that it's not church ministry. It's right. not anything. It's actually the moments. It's that family. And all the, you can have everything else. Yeah. You know, I'm reminding myself I can get everything else. And if I don't have that, then yeah. I missed the mark. That's yeah. the mark is what you have. Right. Is that healthy family that's, that's cutting off the curses of yeah. the past generations. Absolutely. And for me, it's redirecting and going, you know, no, that's what, you know, we're working on. We've been married. We're going away on a honeymoon. My life is it needs to be directed towards that. Right. You know, and for some people, it's so hard to get what yeah. you have so hard, like, you know, and um, it's so far off. And then you guys have it, even though, but it, you know, you had to work for what you have. Yeah. And I like that, that picture of that's what it's all about is, is the guy kind of, or whoever it is putting down their ax and saying, this is, I give you control so that I can have this family. Right. You know, and your kids are involved in your sobriety, but yeah. there's an honesty and an openness. Yeah. And I don't think, I think it's rarer than what we, what we think. I think we judge and we say success is that other family, but I would say, no, they don't have it. He can't go to his son and say, Hey, you give me the pills. Right. That is true family. Right. That's depth. That's healing. Zeke in 20 years. Yeah. That's the example he's going to follow. Right. I mean, geez, what a what a great family mm. to grow up in. And it, it's just it when we talk, it redirects me to to think that's the mark mm. that I want. Mm. And a lot of our the people we know have this. We are we live amongst a blessed. People, oh yeah, we do absolutely. So many families I know have this. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, it's just a good reminder, you know, for yeah. Christmas, for, for life, for everything and kind of, um, and I don't think you celebrate 
your family enough mm. because you, you think that we're in the recovery. But I, I kind of look at it like, no, I, I think it's, that is as good as it gets. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know those as good as it gets moments? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had one yesterday. Okay. It was, um, so, you know, Ross them and Andrew them and the Logisties, we've been getting together once every year or whatever for, it's like a Friendsgiving, but like right a on. Christmas thing. Yeah, right? yeah. And um, we all went to the mainland at the same time we all came back. When we came back, we started this thing called family dinners. Nice. And they became more and more infrequent. You yeah. Know, and now it's a once a year. Right. <laughs> Before it was every month. And then, um, you know, it was those three families plus me. Then I got married. Yeah. And so now, you know, I got my little family. We joined in. So this year, Aki and I were there. And there's this time, you know, at the end of the night, everyone, you have to take the photo. And everyone has to get on the couch. And there's 45 people. And they're trying to fit on a couch the size of this. And can you imagine the setup? Right. The, the camera, it's taking right. five minutes. Right. Everyone's joking. Everyone's laughing, going, come on. No, put it this way. Put it that way. Hurry up. Everyone. And this thing's going on for about five minutes. Right. I realized we are in nirvana wow. or heaven. Yeah. We are sitting amongst each other, totally laughing, cracking up, yelling at the people trying to do this. They're, everything's going on. No one has another care in the world. And it was what. It was a picture of, of community and mm. saying, there's a, there's no, it doesn't get better than this. That's awesome. It's as good as it gets. Those moments that we have in this community, I think every addict longs for. Yeah. I think every person is longing for, like I said, not the sobriety, but that inclusion where it's like, you know, even us, we don't have kids, but we're included. Yeah. We felt it. Yeah. We're in there. I laugh at all, everybody, you know, everyone's just in this amazing moment. And then I recognize where we were at in that moment. That's awesome. And I said, you know, I said, Hey, this is, this is as good as it gets. Whenever I have that moment, yeah. I try and say it. Yeah. We're in it right now. And then the, the picture, then it's like, can you guys, okay. Everybody smile, you know, and then that's it. That's it. That's, that's the it. moment. That is, that's awesome. I think I somebody posted a picture. They posted a picture. Yeah, I think so because I remember seeing that. Yeah, it's 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 one of those where you fight your whole, you're you're fighting all these battles all over creation all year long. I'm, you know, driving to and fro throughout the earth. Um, trying to serve people in my job and make a living. And then in the end, to what end am I doing it? Right. To what end? That is the end. That's the goal. Right. The apex. And it really ties exactly into my addiction. Wow. Whatever that is, whatever for all of us, it is the thing that Satan's trying to hold us back from is that. Yeah. So, what a blessing we, we were heading towards that, not away from it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think you put it again so eloquently in that. I'm going to end with this here is um, just recently, I, 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 I've, I've thought this for a while now, but like going to different meetings and there's different philosophies behind this when it comes to the recovery world of whether are you 
Am I in recovery forever? Mm. And do I ever recover? When can I say I've recovered? Now, it was interesting when I was, I think, within the first week or so of being in rehab, you open up the big book of AA, and on one of the first pages, uh, and I, I don't know the quote specifically, but it says, you know, these are the stories or something of, of those of us who have recovered. So Bill W., Dr. Bob, when they wrote this book, when they compiled this book, they put that word in there, those who have recovered from alcoholism, recovered, right. not are in recovery. Mm -hmm. And so, and I remember take, I'm, I'm a highlighter and note taker when I read. I remember taking my highlighter and highlighting that and maybe exclamation point and just going, okay, I've recovered. And then there's, and again, this is just where I'm coming from. I don't want to trip anybody up or get into any kind of big debate, but this is, this is the philosophy that I am currently living my life in. Being recovered as opposed to being in recovery. For me, it means this. It means that drugs and alcohol, that addiction no longer controls my life. It does not control my thinking. Mm -hmm. It does not control my emotions. It does not control my spirit. It does not control me physically as it once did. And when you've recovered from something, it means that you have, and I'm just redefining this as I go in the moment, but I've recovered, right? I've, re I, I've gotten back. I've recovered my life as mm -hmm. it should be. That's right. In the process of recovery, I've discovered, and what you've just so eloquently said, Ben, is um, in the process of recovery, I've discovered things that I didn't even know that I had, mm -hmm. and I've recovered those. I've recovered mm -hmm. the truth of who I am, mm -hmm. and I've recovered the, the truth of how my life can be and is, and I'm okay with it. Mm -hmm. Because I think that, yeah, when I was in rehab, I was in recovery. Right. I mean, that, it, meaning what? Meaning that I was learning to get back to the starting line. That's what right. clean and sober is. And from there, I'm saying I've recovered because I've. Uh, it means that I'm no longer controlled by the substances, by the thinking, by the emotions. Um, and I've recovered my life back. I've recovered my marriage. I've recovered my family. I've recovered those things in my life that were lost. And I've discovered in that things I didn't know that I actually had. Right. And it's amazing. So that's why I say, hey, I'm a recovered alcoholic. That's good. Does not that. mean that I can go out and drink. Mm -hmm. It does not mean that I don't have to be on my guard. It does not mean that I can live outside of the moments that it doesn't get any better than this moments. Mm -hmm. And I can have those. You can have those. We can all have those. It doesn't get any better than this every single day of our lives. That's right. What I love and what I have on my phone uh, comes up every day at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. It says, Lord, I will step into all that you've prepared for me today. And what that does is it reminds me that I only have to worry about the next 24 hours. Mm -hmm. That's huge in recovery. It's huge for anybody. Mm -hmm. The Bible puts it this way. I think in Matthew 6, don't be anxious for what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear, but the Lord's going to provide. Six times in that paragraph in the Gospel of Matthew, it says, don't be anxious. 
So I'm thinking if it's if it's repeated six times in like four verses, it's probably important that I'm not anxious. And what does that do? It means that I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I worry about right now. Right. And in the moment of living right now, I'm trusting fully on the Lord to provide for me everything that I need just for today. doesn't mean I don't plan for the future. It doesn't mean that I don't have a plan in my recovery, in my, in my marriage, in my, in my life, the goals and dreams and hopes that I want to get to that I have for my kids. Yes, those are living out there and we're moving towards something. But in this moment, mm -hmm. I just have to worry about today. And it's so interesting. And again, you blew my mind. When we say often, let me rephrase that. Often when we say, this is as good as it gets, it's not mm, a great moment. It's like, well, this is life. It's as good as it gets. Meaning that I can't expect to have anything better. But I understand, and I know this is what you're saying, Ben, is that you sit in these moments when you have these fam once a year family dinners and there's 45 of you and so many kids and you now have a wonderful, beautiful wife that you're spending your life with and sharing your life with and you're sharing that together with this community that we have, that you can say in a positive way, man, this is as good as it gets. Mm -hmm. Knowing that we're going to have as, uh, an as good as it gets moment tomorrow, that's probably going to be better. That's right. But realizing being in that moment that when I got an ax in my head and my wife is stressed out and my kids are there, hey, this is as good as it gets because we're a family. We can have this tension. We can be mad at one another and it's not going to derail us. And, it's, and I tell you what, getting a lot of mileage out of this story too. Yeah, you're going to get more. Yeah. You should I'm, write that book I, I, do, I need to I do mean, that. How many books do you got in you? I don't know. I got to. <laughs> if there's anybody out there who's a great, uh, I'm a talker, not a writer. <laughs> So I sit down, I've, I've literally, I've tried Probably to, one of your children, you know, I, uh, I've tried to map this thing out, right? And I've had, I've got chapter titles and I actually started writing stuff. Like yeah. this is like three or four years ago, but because I'm a talker, as soon as I sit down and try to actually type anything out, I lose what I'm trying to say. Right. I need somebody to, who can just like edit along as I go, have this kind of conversation with, and then and change. I would love to, I would love to do that. Maybe I just need to start small with, with something, but but yeah, this is as good as it gets. And you know what? I think this is a great way to end this year. And I don't know. Hopefully, Ben, hopefully, we'll be back in 2023. Wow. Before March, maybe. Before March. Before March. We'll see. But hey, this is a great way. Thank you for taking the time. So fun. Yeah. Merry I love you, Christmas. Ben. Merry Christmas. All right. Hey, if you're out there and you know somebody who's struggling with uh, addiction or alcoholism, have them get the help that they need. Make sure that if um, it's a family member or a loved one that you are taking care of yourself, especially in this Christmas season, this holiday season. This is where a lot of triggers and a lot of pressures happen. Uh, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be a certain way. Be where you're at. Be honest with where you're at. Realize this, that you are not alone. If you're in addiction, if you're in, um, in that bad, bad place, I know, I know that you feel like you're alone. I know that you feel like no one's gonna understand. And I know that you feel that no one likes you. That's a lie. You are worth something, you are valuable. You have family and friends that love you. And so if you even think you need help, start having the conversation today, don't wait. If it's a loved one that's struggling with addiction in some way, um, let them know that you're concerned for them. Have healthy boundaries and realize 
that recovery is possible and get the help that you need. Get into recovery if you need that. I think at the end of the day, something that I learned from Ben every time we sit down is that uh, realizing that you are part of a community, even if you don't feel like it, be open, be vulnerable, allow people to speak into your lives. It's going to be hellacious and it's going to totally suck at times, but I'm telling you right now, it is worth it and it's going to be better than you can imagine. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year.